Hi, my name is Chanel Otley Allen, and you're listening to Caribbean Boot Stories. Welcome. There's never been a podcast that focuses on Caribbean women from all walks of life, narrating their journey of giving birth, navigating self-care postpartum, and parenting across our beautiful region. Now there is. Caribbean Boot Stories is committed to providing a space for honest, non-judgmental conversations, fostering a supportive community of listeners, inspired to share and act on the resources born out of every episode. Do enjoy. Welcome everyone to Caribbean Boot Stories. After chatting with so many of our Caribbean women about their boot stories, I thought of the saying, there are two sides to every story. And some sides are not recorded or not even offered. Throughout this podcast, we hear a mother's story, and in particular, a Caribbean woman's story. However, it would be remiss of me not to offer another point of view to my audience. Meet Mrs. Bina Passad Harris, a nurse for over 25 years and a midwife for more than 20 years. Trinidadian born and bred, Bina sees and hears the other side of the story. As the founder of Hello Baby TT for the last four years, Bina plays an integral role in the birthing process. Bina studied nursing at Nehurst in Trinidad and Tobago and worked at the Eric Williams Medical Sciences Complex, aka Mount Hope Hospital. <laughs> she then traveled to England where she continued her studies, gaining her BSc in midwifery from the University of Brighton, followed by a postgraduate diploma in advanced midwifery practice at the University of Surrey. Her last role before leaving the UK was that of a senior midwife in the department um, of a midwifery-led maternity triage unit within a high-risk maternity unit, right? Mm -hmm. Are you ready to hear the other side of the coin? Listen. Hi, Vina. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. I oh, cannot, wait, cannot <laughs> wait to hear everything because I always said to myself when um, I wanted to have a baby, I really wanted to have a midwife. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of my dream. I wanted it, but then I never pursued it, you know? So it happened. Okay. I just went the medical route in terms of I had an OBGYN and the rest is history. So right. I do have a lot of questions as to, you know, what a midwife does, their role, et cetera, et cetera. So, but before we go there, you were a nurse for a few years, right? First. Yeah, one or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, you speak of this yearning to study midwifery. Mm -hmm. why, why? What was that desire? What, what caused that desire to transition from nursing to midwifery? Well, let me be honest with you. Um, when I was doing nursing, now we said I was on this for a few years. Um, yeah. I actually started my training 28 years ago. So I've been qualified for 25, but 28 years ago. And at the time, if you wanted to have any senior position in nursing at all, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you had to be a midwife. So you could not just have um, your degree in nursing. You had to have midwifery as well. Okay. Right? And I was young and very ambitious at the time and wanted to become a head nurse and all sorts of things. And so I needed to do midwifery to do it. At the time, in, however, in Trinidad, the waiting list was 10 years long. Oh, wow. I know. And I was 23 years old, well, 22 when I was qualified, 23 years old. And il imagining at that point waiting for 10 years was really you know, one of those things that you couldn't, you, you just couldn't, didn't have the concept of. Now at my age, 10 years doesn't seem a lot, but back then it did. Yeah. And so I, I decided to investigate doing um, midwifery. And the options were either to go to Jamaica, but they didn't have a degree program in midwifery at the time. They had one in nursing. Okay. Um, or to go to the UK. And my father said to me, I feel you should go to England. So right. I, was okay. I was in permission. To go to yes, yes. Um, because when you're, when you're 23, I don't know, a lot of 23 year olds are, are very, very different. But at the time I was, a, while I was running a ward and in charge of a ward and them kinds of things on the shifts that I were on, when I got home, because I was living at home, I was very much 
the child. The child. So yeah. I, I, I needed permission. I was a, I was a very young 23 year old, except when I was at work. <laughs> right. Under, totally understand. <laughs> so I, I, I um, embarked on, on this journey to go to the UK. So within about six to eight months of deciding that we were going to do this, I was in England. Oh, and I worked for a year and then in that time got myself into the midwifery program at the University of Brighton. Mm-hmm. Started to do midwifery and suddenly realized that they, because at the time I had the perception that midwifery was just complete in your nursing because right. that was the impression you had got. But when we got to England, I mean, the concept of what a midwife is was so very, very different from anything that I had heard. A midwife, you know, in the UK is a practitioner in her own right. She's accountable and responsible for everything she does. Um, she has a whole lot more power than perhaps in the Caribbean themselves and in, in especially in Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, we had the power to put doctors out of the room if we didn't agree what they would, with what we were doing. Oh, and I know. <laughs> <laughs> And um, there was this whole world that opened up to me in helping women. And being a young woman myself and growing up with this idea that childbirth seemed to be this thing that you had to do, but insurmountable at the same time because of of the amount of pain you're going to be in and the amount of suffering and things that it took. Because that's the only stories you used to hear. And I realized that actually, you know, there was a way to support women that this didn't have to suffer. Right. Which is not to say that you will not have pain in childbirth, but you didn't have to suffer through this birth. And there were so many choices and so many little things you could do to help. Mm -hmm. And so somehow after only deciding that I was going to do this and then come back home and, you know, um, go back to general nursing, I fell in love with midwifery. Okay. A lot of people fall in love with the babies. And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie, they're real cute. <laughs> they have nothing like cuddling a newborn. Seriously, they have nothing like cuddling a newborn. But actually, what I fell in love with, I know this is going to sound weird, but I fell in love with the women. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with the women, which is not to say pregnant women are easy to deal with all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your last role in this high risk unit. What made the unit high risk and, you know, how, tell me a little bit more about what you did. Okay. So the unit was high risk simply because, well, I shouldn't say simply, but because one of the things that was attached to the unit was something we call a level four neonatal intensive care unit. All right. Which basically means that we would be taking even down to tiny premature babies. It really comes down to the level of care that the unit could provide. Mm -hmm. Um, And this particular level four unit would take just about any baby that was ill of any gestation that we were going to try um, to keep alive. Mm-hmm. Now, in the West Indies, it kind of is acceptable that the age of viability, so the age that we are going to resuscitate a baby if they're born early, tends to be anywhere between 26 to 28 weeks, depending on where you are. Okay. Because Trinidad and Tobago has the best neonatal units in the region. So, you know, like Port of Spain in general, um, neonatal unit may try to save babies from like 26 weeks and things, but I'm aware that other parts of the Caribbean, it wouldn't be till 28 weeks and that sort of a thing. But in England, the age of viability is 24 weeks. But if you went into labor, even at 22 weeks and the baby was born and made what we call a respiratory effort. So they tried to gasp for air in any way, we would resuscitate. And so... And so the neonatal unit would handle all, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, not all of these babies would survive, but we, yeah. would, we would try. Yeah. It also meant that mummies with um, varying medical conditions who were ill, because as much as the majority of pregnancies in the world will be healthy pregnancies and the mummies will be healthy, every now and then we have people who are getting more and more ill. Mm-hmm. Um, in pregnancy and we would be able to keep them because should we need to deliver them early, we would have the neonatal support there as well. Right. But what okay. was very interesting about this unit is that on the, maternity, on the, the labor ward, on the maternity unit in the labor ward, while we had the high-risk rooms where we, where we could do everything that we needed to do to manage mummies with, uh, who needed more monitoring and that sort of a thing, we also had a few what we call home-from-home rooms. So in the UK, more so than in, in Trinidad, home births are a little bit more prevalent and a little bit more common. Okay. okay. But there are some people who wanted to be on a maternity unit, but didn't want the monitoring, didn't want the hospital feel. Right. Right. So these rooms had, I mean, like sofas and yes, it was a hospital bed, but was made up a little bit prettier. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it was made to look like a bedroom. 
Right. So you had this kind of you had this kind of intermediate thing. Um, the care that we practiced in there was actually very very different than we would with somebody who was high risk, where we were monitoring you all the time. Mm-hmm. So women would be allowed to be in labor, um, and we would monitor their vital signs and of course the heart rate and things. But you know the traditional the traditional obstetric care you would expect, where we examine in here every few hours and that sort of a thing. We didn't do. We wouldn't do vaginal examinations for no reason. We would watch the mummy, watch her her behavior, watch how she was sitting, how she was standing, the sound she was making, right. and basically wait for her body to tell us, right, she was ready for this baby to come out. And mm-hmm. it was really this beautiful thing. Now, at the time in the UK, what happened was that the cesarean section rate all over the UK, not just in our hospital, was going up um, by exponential rates. And... One of the things that that impacts, apart from the health of women, is also, and it, you know, in the world, like it or not, the medical services always come down to money. The insurance was going up for the maternity unit, and they needed to bring down the cesarean section rate. So, what was conceived was this, was this department called maternity triage. Okay. And maternity triage was where if you went to your health center and you saw your midwife or your GP or anybody like that and they had any problems, they could they could refer you in for further assessment. But also, and what was really great about this was if you had any problems at all, there was this point of contact of a person that you could call to get advice or that you could come in without a referral to be seen, without a wait unless you could just show up and be seen. And this unit was midwifery-led because our job was to keep women as normal as possible, refer if we needed to, and we could get a doctor, but we didn't have a doctor on staff. So you were seeing the midwives, and we actually did make a huge impact in reducing the cesarean section rate because of the kind of information. And I think it wasn't only the physical support of assessing women, you know. It was the emotional support of having a midwife that you could talk to. So if you're in early labor, instead of being frightened and things, and you're contracting at home, you could call somebody and we could talk to you. Okay, the contractions are still one in 20 minutes. That's okay. I want you to go and take a bath for me. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. What else are you seeing? You know, and that is very, very important. That is a fantastic concept. And is there something like that in Trinidad? Now, if you have any concerns at all, irrespective of the gas station you are, how far along you are in pregnancy, you can go to the accident and emergency departments within the maternity units. Okay. The emergency departments within the maternity units within all the public hospitals in Trinidad. So whether this be in Tobago, there is the Sandy Grandi Hospital, San Fernando General Mount Hope Women's, as opposed to Eric Williams, the Mount Hope Women's Department, and Port of Spain General. So you can go directly to your maternity unit. There isn't a dedicated unit per se, so everybody gets seen within the emergency departments. All right. Both high risk and low risk, you can go in to see them. What you will not get from those um, departments, however, is the phone support and things at home. Okay. At home. So I believe Sandy Grandy does have what we call um, a maternity day assessment unit. So for women who don't need to be hospitalized overnight, but perhaps need a little bit of monitoring and things in the day, to be able to be go home and then sleep at the night, they have one as well, which I think is a fantastic initiative. So is it that they come there, spend the day monitor, yeah. and then they're going home? Yeah. Okay. So they don't have to actually be on the ward and that kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a really good idea. Hmm. So you gain all this experience, all this expertise in the UK. Right. Most people would say, but then you had the opportunity to probably climb the ranks and, you know, fulfill your career dreams and goals who knows but you decided to return to trinidad and tobago why well firstly trinidad is home Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the first thing i love the uk i love living in england but winters weren't my favorite thing (laughs) (laughs) yes yes winter wasn't my favorite thing but um It wasn't even that. At the time, and this is more of a personal note now as opposed to a professional note. Mm -hmm. At the time, my dad was ill, so he'd always had heart problems and things. But now he needed some um, general surgery and he needed major surgery. Um. And I did not want to be one of those children who went away, lived their lives, and then came home to bury your parents. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be the one to nurse him back to health and make sure that he was okay. And however many years later, thank God he's all right. 
harassing me about going to the grocery for COVID this morning. And if I have my mask on and this time, I always have a mask on. I don't know. <laughs> but he is fine. Um, so I actually came home for him. Okay. I came home for him. I don't know if at the time I had any plans beyond nursing him back to health as to whether I would go to the UK or whether I would stay in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow I ended up staying. I had some wonderful jobs. I worked in two fertility units. Mm-hmm. two different fertility units in Trinidad and Tobago. I worked, oh, I love this job. I worked um, as one of the nurses on Friends of the, in the Friends of the Blood Bank. So we used to go all over to companies and things in, um, in on blood drives. And my father used to tell me nobody had a right to be so happy with whatever job they're doing. You're supposed to be a little bit miserable, but I love that job. <laughs> and it wasn't even the needles. Uh, it was just a nice job. Right. Um, and I realized that from my work in the fertility units, when people would come back to show us the babies, this was pre-COVID, obviously, mm-hmm. come back to show us the babies and them, that those types of things. And even from when they were pregnant, because they knew I was a midwife, even though it was outside of my remit as an IVF nurse coordinator, they would call and ask advice. And even though it was outside of my remit, you can't not help people, can you? No, exactly. <laughs> you can't not help them. Exactly. And so... So was that how Hello Baby Titi was born? Yeah. Yeah, while there were some Lamar's classes, I realized that, hmm, I feel there was scope for something just that little bit mm-hmm. more in-depth, a little bit more structured. Right. A little bit more woman-centered as opposed to tell you what's going to happen in the hospital. Right. Now, before you get into Hello Baby, Titi, which I want you to, okay. for the listeners and the expectant mothers out there, can you describe what the role of a midwife is, strictly speaking? Because you talk mm-hmm. about as an IVF coordinator, some things are out of your remit, mm-hmm. etc. So as a midwife, what are some of the advantages of having a midwife at your birth or having a midwife period versus, say, going to OBGYN or, you know, tell me the difference. Okay, so I think, firstly, to the definition of the word midwife literally mm-hmm. means with woman mid means with and the wife part means woman right so a lot of people think that because traditional midwives were all married and had children before that's how they got the midwife bit but mm-hmm. it actually is because the role is to be with women all right? right now it comes down to understanding what your pro- your professionals do or who they are so right. midwives are the people who are experts in normal birth okay all right, they're trained for that. They they're experts in normal birth. Your obstetrician is trained to to intervene if there is a complication. Okay. And to manage you medically, because I think what a lot of people don't realize is while we monitor and things while you're pregnant, and we're making sure that you are safe and baby is safe and all of that kind of a thing, you're not ill. Right. And I think that's a whole mindset that needs to change in Trinidad and Tobago. And I don't know about the wider Caribbean, but I get that feeling from the wider Caribbean mm-hmm. that you're not ill. We mm-hmm. have this saying in Trinidad, um, when you're pregnant, you have one foot in the grave, which yeah. is horrify me because yeah. 50% of women don't die. <laughs> no, they don't, thankfully. Thankfully. Yeah. You know, um, so your midwife is is the expert in normal and your obstetrician is the person who steps in if you have a medical condition that needs managing to help to get you to the end of the pregnancy safely all okay. right so um i know we have a hybrid system where we have obstetricians doing normal births in Trinidad and i'm kind of that kind of a thing but mm-hmm. the advantage of a midwife is because people don't realize that just as if you had a medical condition that requires certain skills, certain medical skills. There are certain skills that midwives have that other people will not have. Right. They will not have. And how to help you cope with your labor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they understand the physiology of it. They are able to recognize when things need to, when you need help in particular ways, do you actually need, um, need care from other, we were talking, we were discussing this pre 
um, yeah, recording, yeah. recording, you know, about from paramedical services and the midwives are the ones who are supposed to, traditionally speaking, and if you if you use the UK model and like a lot of the world, the midwife is the one who coordinates all the other professionals and she is your point of contact. And I know that's not the, the model that we have in Trinidad, but that is what it's supposed to be. Right. So... Yeah. Okay. You have somebody who's on your side. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like your medical team is on your side generally. Mm -hmm. Um, but I it sounds from what you're saying that the midwife is your advocate Mm -hmm. as the woman, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and that's important. I think a lot of our conversations on this podcast have been about self-advocacy and you know, just speaking up. And perhaps as I learn more um, from you, the midwife is that person to help advocate for what you as a woman may want to see in your birthing process. Yes. So um, so tell me now about Hello Baby TT. I mean, it was born out of this need to educate parents about expectations, childbirth preparation, um, and just you know, available choices. Mm-hmm. Are you meeting that mandate? Do you feel like that's what Hello Baby TT has evolved into? I think, well, four years ago, on the 17th of April, I made a Facebook page. Okay. (laughs) That that is honestly how all of this started. I made a Facebook page. Um, It was meant to be part-time because at the time I had a full-time job. Job, right. (laughs) And so it was meant to be a weekend thing to help people who just wanted that little bit more information and that type of a thing. And then we quickly realized that people were wanting classes in the week because I think naively I thought, well, no, everybody wants the weekend, man, it's okay. (laughs) And people started requesting um, classes in the week and my so did husband, it start off as just Lamar's classes then that's all it was yeah just the okay. childhood classes I think it's important to understand that in Trinidad we use the word Lamar's class and really and truly that's because I think on TV that's the word that's recognized yes. <laughs> but it's kind of like how Trinidadians for anybody who's listening who is Trinidadians squeezes every single type of dishwashing liquid and breezes every single type of oh. <laughs> I'm pampers is every diaper, so but anyway. <laughs> I forgot that one. Yes, pampers yes. is every single type of diaper. You're buying mm-hmm. huggies, but you're going for pampers. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they give this name to childbirth classes, all right? And really and truly, that was all it was meant to be. Four years later, however, um, I think I exceeded what I had intended to do. Because we do the Lamar's class, the childbirth class. Right. We do hypnobirthing classes. And I'm in the process, very excitedly, of rewriting our hypnobirthing class, which we will relaunch later this year. Because mm. a lot of the hypnobirthing that they do in, um, in the US and in the UK and Europe and things like that is very Eurocentric. Right. You know, and... We always talking about contractions, how, uh, like waves, and what do Caribbean people understand better than the beach? And I haven't come across one one script that had the waves on the beach. So right, <laughs> we rewriting it in a way that our people will understand and, mm-hmm. and make it better. So there is that. We also do feeding classes. So I have two feeding classes because this is one of the things that makes parents the most miserable. The thought, the choices on feeding. Yeah. Um, so I have a zero to six months and we cover breastfeeding. I know this is not a popular thing. I know this is a popular, not a popular thing, but I talk about formula feeding as well. What mm-hmm. I don't do is I is I don't recommend any brand name of bottles and I don't recommend any brand name of formulas. It is not sponsored by anybody or anything. We stay within the World Health Organization's code for, of marketing. But I am aware that in the Caribbean and in Trinidad and Tobago, especially we have a bottle feeding culture and people not actually bottle feeding correctly. Okay. Because I think a lot of people don't realize that the traditional way of just shoving the bottle in the child's mouth is actually the wrong way to bottle feed. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, and then of course, there's a little bit of support because I get a lot of questions from my mommies when babies get to six months and they have to wean. So we now have a feeding class from six months and beyond. Right. 
later this year as well. So I'm going to be busy. We have the baby sleep class, the realities of baby sleep, because this is the oh. other thing that makes mummies miserable. Yes, I can definitely attest yes. to this one. <laughs> and the thing is, what happens is that um, it is very much an anti-sleep training class. Okay. I don't I don't have um, any issues with anybody who sleep training their child because I understand why they did it because you know the information isn't out there the information isn't out there on what normal baby sleep is and how to support that and to get yourself some rest while you're doing it so we're not um, advocating for sleep training but we're going to tell you the realities of newborn sleep and the realities of mommies and daddies sleep how to manage some tips and tricks for long-term sleep <laughs> All right. well, I am interested in hearing that because <laughs> okay. I sleep trained my son at 10 okay. months right. out of complete exhaustion mm-hmm. and, and frustration. Absolutely. And to this day, I tell my friends all the time that I, I feel like I have PTSD from his, yes. just his not his inability to sleep throughout the night. Mm-hmm. And so now he's two years old and mm-hmm. Just last night, I heard him make a noise and I immediately, like I can hear him through walls, right. <laughs> first of all, right? Yes. And yes. I imi- I hear the sound mm-hmm. and immediately in my gut, I start to feel something yeah. building, you yeah. know, almost like, oh my gosh, is he going to wake up? And, and he's sleeping through the night now, mm-hmm. but I just have that reaction. And it's mm-hmm. because I honestly feel I was traumatized from the fact that he was waking up every two hours, every three hours, every 45 exactly. minutes sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it was really difficult. So I would be interested in hearing an alternative way of getting him to, or supporting his sleep. Well, that, 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 yeah. This, this is the thing. I mean, because the thing is, what we don't want to do, and 10 months and things is a different story, but we're talking specifically about sleep training newborns. Okay. Um, um, sleep training newborns. Because I think parents need to realistically understand what baby sleep is and how mm-hmm. to support it. Because sleep training a newborn is not something we physiologically want to do. Right. The baby's biological clock, their circadian rhythm, does not start to form until after three to four months. Right. So yes. expecting a baby to sleep through the night beforehand is a bit unrealistic. So it's about preparing for that postnatal period. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's about preparing for that postnatal period. Um, and I think what happens is about re-educating mommies and daddies as what is normal because they're spending. And this is the other thing. Apart from being wake, waking up with the baby and that kind of a thing when the baby needs to wake up, they're spending a lot of money. They're going back and forth to the pediatrician and they are thinking that something is wrong with their baby. Mm-hmm. And this is the problem with parents, honestly, is that they're thinking something is wrong and you can't, you can't, um, you can't fault them for that. They just want what is right for the child. So they're thinking because of unrealistic expectations and unrealistic narratives out there about newborns sleeping through the night, because there's always this one person who'll pop up and tell you, well, my baby was sleeping through the night since they were two months old. And right. my heart as a midwife just want to stop. I'm like, what do you mean your child sleeping three nights at two months old? Because this increases the risk of sudden infant death syndrome. Mm-hmm. Babies have to wake up every two to three hours. What are you talking about sleeping through the night? And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Please and you know what? When you hear those stories as a new mother, because mm-hmm. I know they're saying, I don't know why people say that, but when you hear the, those stories, I know for me, it makes me feel like, okay, I'm failing at something. My child is definitely not sleeping through the night at two months, three months. So what am I doing wrong? Because if she's experiencing this, Mm -hmm. then I'm doing something wrong. And that is it. You're not doing anything wrong. This is the physiology. And this is the reason we have in the class. Because... I think people need to understand that. And if you understand the physiology, if you understand why this is happening, then it automatically takes away the guilt and the pressure of you doing something wrong. Because it's not only the sleep, the sleep, the lack of sleep, you know, it's not only the sleep deprivation, although that by itself I get is, you know. It's like torture, yeah. Right. <laughs> but it is the added pressure of thinking that you're failing. Yep, mom so, guilt is real. Yeah, exactly. So if you understood, well, this is what my baby is going to do, and this is not a reflection on me, 
and when this is going to change and what changes in the baby's brain when and that kind of a thing is not that you're not going to necessarily be sleep deprived because we're not going to get your eight hours sleep we're just not all right not for a newborn that's unrealistic and anybody promising you that well you know back away slowly (laughs) (laughs) you know with a newborn a baby under six months just back away slowly yeah um and what's um, I think got me upset and spurred me to, run, to to do this class as well is because as much as I believe in people's choice of what they want to do, there are a lot of people who start off with the intention of wanting to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. And I had one particular mommy who told me, well, a few mommies told me this, but there was this one particular one who said to me, she was under pressure from her, um, her family and her friends to sleep train her baby at nine months. Mm-hmm. And her little girl, since she was born, was breastfeeding like a dream. She never once had a cracked nipple. She never had a sore nipple. Mm-hmm. The baby was latching well. I mean, we do, we talk about breastfeeding in the class and she's, she, she was laughing and telling me she's three foot to the notes. Right. <laughs> and, all that kind of thing. and the breastfeeding was going well. And now she was nine months and she was told by somebody who was trying to sleep train her baby that she was giving her baby negative sleep associations by breastfeeding this child at night. Mm. and that what she needed to do was switch the baby to a bottle right and when I heard that one I mean I was leaving it alone and I was staying quiet all the time and batting my crease and I thought no you have to say something yeah something something have to be done because you cannot be making mommies feel guilty for doing the right thing Mm -hmm. holding your baby when your baby is crying and feeling unsafe and then somebody is telling you well no you're giving your child a bad habit so now you have the guilt that you was feeling because the baby was crying but now you have the guilt that you're holding your baby and you're stuck between this place and the two people who gave you the both pieces of of advice they jumped up in the bed snoring correct (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean now that we're here and you're telling me, are there any other services that you offer? Give me the full list so that, you know, our listeners, they can access you. And, you know, if they feel like they need some one of your services. So, well, there's the Lamar's class. There's a hypnobirthing class. There are the two feeding classes, like I said, zero to six months and then six months and beyond with the introduction of solids. There will be the sleeping class to come. I have a fabulous, fabulous therapeutic mas- um, massage therapist. Right. Rhonda, who um, really helps a lot, a lot of women with what everybody describes as the aches and pains of pregnancy and expects you to live with it. And people don't realize that there are things that can be done to help you. Yes. So she does the prenatal, postnatal and postnatal massages for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in Trinidad, everybody talks about rubbing the womb after. Actually, no one has spoken about that yet. So thank you for okay. bringing that up because <laughs> that's something I have heard in my practice, you know, where yeah. People, yeah, they rub your belly, bring it back. Right. In right. And and she 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 does all of that as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the baby massages and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the doulas, which I am very, very excited about. Yes, and so am I because I feel like I needed one. So tell me mm-hmm. for like anybody listening, what is a doula? why should we have one let me hear all right so a doula is basically like a professional childbirth partner all right so they're not medically trained Mm -hmm. and they can't make medical decisions or give you medical advice but what that means is that it frees them up from the responsibility of the medical side of things that can take them away from supporting you Mm-hmm. And means that they are fully focused on supporting you and your partner and the wider family in general through your labor. Okay. okay. So, um, I mean, there are other doulas besides the Hello Baby doulas, but my doulas are, um, are handpicked by me as people that I can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, they know my classes inside also, especially for people who've done my classes, they will have that continuing support. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, but if you haven't done my classes, then they will go along with whatever methods that you are using. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they meet with you initially to discuss your needs. And it is not them interviewing you. It's about you interviewing them to see if you like them. Yes, because I feel like you have to like that person. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They'd have, they're really honestly doing this because there's not a lot of money involved. So you're not going to be making a million dollars as a doula, let me tell you. Right. right. You're not going to become a millionaire for this job. They're doing it for the love of women and the love of supporting women and the love of supporting both. And they work really, really hard. But, you know, 
they will come and for you to interview them, see if you get along with them, and there is no ego involved in their part at all if you don't choose them. Okay. Okay. Um, they want you to choose the right person. Trinidad is small, so we're not really worried about location. Um, they will go anywhere in Trinidad. Um, so if someone is, yep. is thinking about having a doula, they can check out Hello Baby TT, yep. request yep. like an interview with one of them. How does how does that process work? So they they contact they contact Hello Baby TT. Um, mm-hmm. If you're on WhatsApp, I can send you the profiles for all of the doulas, the, the five mm-hmm. of them. You right. can read the profiles, dis- decide which ones, or if you want to meet all five, that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fine. I do tend to have to limit it to the ones that are available for the time that you are due for around the time that you are due mm-hmm. all right so then you have a chat with them decide if you find if you found the right person in them then they will sign their contract and explain everything to you so they will meet you at least twice to do that to, to, to interview and, and sign your contract and then you will chat with them as to how often you need to see them or chat with them whether you prefer phone whatsapp zoom you know that type of a thing mm-hmm. when you go into labor they come home to you while you're in labor and support you while you're at home ah. and then when you transfer to the hospital they go along with you to the hospital to support you at home at, at any hospital as well or your place of birth if it's the help uh, if it's the um birthing center and that type of a thing they will stay with you until your first breastfeed wow. so they help support the first breastfeed as well and then you have a postnatal visit for them um, or with them, uh, whether it be the day after you come home or a week later or, you know, as you need it to come and help you um, check on the latch with breastfeeding, just give you some general moral support to go through your birth and chat with them, that kind of a thing. Now, tell me, since COVID and the restrictions, mm-hmm. are they being allowed into hospitals? Because I know, like in Sandy Grande, I think I've heard that it's just the mother, you're not allowed to bring any support persons. So about with COVID, nobody knew when we when things shut down last year, March in Trinidad. I think everybody was a little bit frightened. Yes. You know. Um, and so the hospitals stop allowing you to have your birth partner. And by this, I'm talking about the public hospitals. Yeah? Yes. All right. About a couple of months ago, a couple of months ago, they started to allow birth partners in again. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the hospitals require your partner to do, I don't necessarily agree with this, but require them to do a Lamar's class. So we give you a Latin certificate if you do our class to allow you in. Now, as of, well, last week and then yesterday in Trinidad, we have gone back into um, not a complete shutdown, but a more comprehensive shutdown than, than they've had before. Right. And so we don't know how the hospitals are going to react with partners. Um, certainly Mount Hope for now is still allowing partners in. Mm-hmm. The rest of the hospitals, we will have to wait and see um, what's happening. Mount Hope has said, to, um, has said to one of my doulas who has a mommy actually laboring today <laughs> in Mount Hope that she is with, um, that they would allow the doulas in. Mount Hope has said that. We haven't had cause to ask any of the other hospitals yet because nobody has wanted to go to one of the other hospitals with with a It would be, in and outside of COVID, either your doula or your birth partner do. The the hospitals allow allow you to have one support person. Okay. All right? So really and truly, it will be one or the other. With your private care now, because there's a lot of births happening in private care, mm-hmm. it really isn't down to the private hospital. It comes down to if your obstetrician is willing to work with a doula. Okay. That's what it's coming down to. But so far, if I'm being really honest, we haven't had any any negative feedback from the obstetricians at all. Okay, well, that's A lot good. of them um, have actually said to us, oh, good, right. So, well, yeah, you have your people, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's good to have an interdisciplinary team. I think that approach to, to medical care and just healthcare is important because everybody has their role to play, you know? Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't realize when you're in labor, while your midwife will come and check on you, your doctor, if you're in private care, will come and check on you. They don't realize how much time they're actually going to spend in this room alone with their partner, guessing as to what to do next. Correct. And although I go through with them in in the Lamar's class and things, all the things to do, all the counter pressures and all of that type of a thing, sometimes having somebody else to prompt what is next can make a difference. Right. So tell me if you can, because I don't I know, obviously, I'm not trying to get you to divulge everything okay. from your classes, but from a doula's perspective, 
-hmm. what is it that they bring to the birthing process like in labor and delivery that Mm -hmm. say you wouldn't get from just a regular supportive partner okay so the first thing to tell you is that in the antenatal period in your prenatal period Mm-hmm. When you are trying to write your birth plan, trying to make choices for yourself and that sort of a thing, they can help you to filter out the noise that is out there. Mm-hmm. There is some information that is worth having when you when you go to Dr. Google, there is some information <laughs> worth having. And then there is some information that really is just noise and um, not, not really empowering you the way it should. All right. They can help you filter through that. They can send you um, links. They can discuss things with you, talk you through it. All right. When you're in labor, um, you know, when you're going into your birth, a supportive partner is a great person to have. Is a Mm -hmm. great, great person to have. And a lot of dads do very, very well or mommies or sisters and things do very, very well. But we do know that for some people, what will happen is that both mommy and the birth partner is going to need support in not just staying staying on the bed wondering how do I support you is this the right time to do this is this the right time to do that Mm -hmm. and of course there are certain maneuvers and certain things with counter pressure and things while I will show you a lot in the class cannot be used outside of the correct timing otherwise they're going to cause trouble okay so while we will show you a lot there is we can't tell you every single thing not because we want to withhold it not because of anything like that but we don't want you using it where it would complicate things and things to help the baby to rotate and that kind of a thing and so because they are trained for this and while they can't give medical advice they understand medical advice Mm-hmm. So they can't give it, but they understand it. So when you're examined by your doctor, you come in and you were told um, about about where you are in labor and things like that. No, they will be able to interpret that and advise you on how to cope and what we should be doing now to get you the type of birth that you want according to your birth plan and according to what was discussed before. Does the birth plan need to change? Um, okay. Sometimes they're a very good person in just helping you to take a minute. Right. In helping you to take a minute. What they do, and one of the things they specialize in very well is something that we call holding space. Mm, So basically what it is, is there are no pressure persons, somebody you could rely on to clear everybody else out of the room that is stopping you from being able to think about what you need to think about and where you need to go next. Because mm. often the difference between somebody being traumatized in their birth and not traumatized in their birth is when they feel that they were in control of what was happening in the sense that it didn't just happen to them, that they were able to make a decision. Yeah. So patient yeah. preference and they were able yeah. to choose. And you know, you're not always going to like, because if you have an emergency and you need a cesarean section, you may not like the idea of a cesarean section, but giving this woman five minutes to think about it or 10 minutes with nobody else in the room, just her partner and perhaps her doula, and the doula is the person t- saying, right, this is what we need now. We need 10 minutes. It's the difference between telling yourself, well, look, I didn't want this to happen. I didn't want this to happen. To telling yourself, this was not my original birth plan. I know, but this is what is safest now for me and my baby. And so you accept. You've had a chance to internalize it, process it, and accept it before it actually happens. Right. Which is critical because mm-hmm. there is also cesarean regrets where people, mm-hmm. you know, they've not been given that opportunity to be a part of that decision-making process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for whatever reason, afterwards, they regret not having spoken up or, you know, yes. said how they feel. And, you know, so, yeah, that's very, very critical. So, okay, I'm getting a better understanding of um, the roles. But what would be some of the your top three pieces of advice that you would give to an expectant mother actually during delivery, during labor and delivery? How should she prepare for that? So really and truly, the first thing I would tell you, obviously, because it's me, I would tell you, do a proper childbirth class. Right. I would tell you, honestly, do a proper childbirth class. Mm -hmm. Um, It gives you not only the information about labor and birth and about the coping techniques, which are quite a few, the coping techniques, 
Because yeah. a lot of people think your your Lamar's classes you're gonna come and bounce around a ball and breathe, and, breathe. <laughs> and it go, and it is a lot more than that. But mm-hmm. it also helps you to start to think, mm-hmm. start to think about mm-hmm. what you want your labor to be like, what you would, how you would like to cope, the people that you need to support you, who you want in your base team, and you know your support team. All right. right. So there is that. The second thing I would tell you to do. Um, if we're talking about labor and birth, is make sure that the birth partner that you choose and whether you choose to have a doula or not um, is entirely up to you because some people will want another person there, some people won't. But if whoever your birth partner is that you choose, make sure that they're not just there to witness the birth because I think what is happening is a lot of people assume that the baby's daddy is the person who needs to go in the room because he needs to see this baby come out. Mm-hmm. All right. But is he the right person to support you? And the majority of daddies do very, very well. But he might not be the person who might be the most proactive person to help to say, well, look, you know, at this point, he's going to be offering you drinks. He's going to take over massaging your back, you know, without you having to request it. Because at that point, your brain is occupied elsewhere. You need somebody who is going to be all about you in that room. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and thirdly, bef- but this is before labor and delivery, I would tell you, write a birth plan. So okay. the birth plan, the beauty of a birth plan is not only having this piece of paper to hand to people to say, look, this is what you want in labor, because things can change. It's not set in stone in any shape, form or fashion. But when you're going through your birth plan in your own head, it systematically takes you through a lot of the decisions that you will have to make. Because again, a lot of people don't realize when you're in labor and you're um, giving birth, how many things you will be asked, how many decisions you will make. Mm -hmm. right and so this helps you to start to think about it beforehand so that when you come to the time to make this decision in labor you've already considered the the, the pros and the cons of it Mm -hmm. and so it takes the pressure off of you because it's not the first time you're hearing this information right and discuss discuss your birth plan with your doctor your midwife and your partner make sure they understand yes what you want Okay. And for expectant mothers listening and trying to get prepared for the postpartum period, Mm. right? Mm. What recommendations would you make for them? Like items they should have, things they should be prepared for to see, you know, what would you say to them? Okay, um, the advice I tend to have for people for the postpartum, for the postpartum and the postnatal, um, the postnatal period tends to be not so much um, items to have. Okay. Although I will say a squeezy bottle that can screw it upside down, can screw it water upside down. Yeah. <laughs> witch hazel, cold witch hazel, mm. your best friend, cold witch hazel on a cotton pad stuck in the fridge <laughs> to put where your stitches are. Yeah. That yeah. that is helpful. You will need more pads than you think. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the hospitals, maxi pads. Yeah, a lot of the um hospital lists. I um tend to have three packs of pads, mm-hmm. and a lot of my mummies have bought exactly three packs of pads. And I'm a little bit like, so when you go home, what you're gonna use? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, when it comes to your to your pad, make sure your pad is comfortable. Make sure your pad is large. Long, long, all right? Because a lot of people don't realize whether you're breastfeeding, you're bottlefeeding, when you're sitting up on them kinds of things, your uterus is going to contract and there's a little bit of blood that's going to be coming out, in especially in the first three, four days. It'll start to taper off within the next two to six weeks, yes. But in the first three to four days, your, your bleeding is going to be the heaviest. And not for everybody, but for a lot of people, this is heavier bleeding than they would have ex- ever experienced. Yes. The other, th- the other thing coming to that that I tend to tell a lot of mummies to buy um is incontinence pads. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds really weird because although you have your pad and things on, if you're breastfeeding and your uterus suddenly contracts and you're wondering, oh my God, I feel something coming and you're wondering about your cream sofa because <laughs> you didn't have a baby all the time. So, you know, you have would, I mean, look, I have a cream sofa. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lie. My husband chooses it. I don't know. He's the one that spills things. But anyway, no, but what it does is it takes away that worry from you about are you messing things up so you can safely feed, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, investigate your feeding choices. 
Mm-hmm. Investigate your feeding choices. I will not judge you for breastfeeding. I will not judge you for bottle feeding and pumping and bottle feeding or formula feed. Your choice is your choice. Obviously, right. as a midwife and knowing the benefits, I want you to breastfeed. I'll give the baby as much breast milk as you can. I'm not going to lie for you. I'm honestly mm-hmm. telling you, that's where I'm at. I want as much breast milk. But your feeding choices are your own because this feeding can make you miserable and can make your baby miserable. Yes. But you have to prepare yourself. Be mm-hmm. aware of what is marketing and what is actual information when it comes to your feeding choices. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's important. You're going to, I don't have to tell you about clothes and things because the majority of babies just tend to have more clothes than the mommy and daddy put together. Yeah. Yeah. I think they my have advice, that covered. And my, my advice in that department is please buy some three to six months. Not yeah. everything at newborn and yeah. by some three to six months. Otherwise, they'll grow out of it. Soft clothes as opposed to pretty clothes. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, well, this is Caribbean with stories. Mm-hmm. We live in hot countries, people. Please, please, please. All these fleecy blankets, please. And the poor child sweating. <laughs> <laughs> begging. I'm begging for them. Oh, God. <laughs> And a lot of people are spending a lot of money. And in times of COVID and things where we have no resources, can for a lot of people could get very, very limited. Mm-hmm. My advice to a lot of mummies and daddies out there is please don't try to keep up with your friends mm-hmm. who had every single thing under the sun. Yeah. If you have a white so it means you always have to have wipes. When we know one of the ways of preventing diaper rashes to use cotton wool and water. Mm-hmm. And you don't even have to use the old-fashioned cotton wool that's wrapped up in the gray paper. Right. They have the face rounds. They have the big right. shapes. They have the squares. They have them really convenient that you could use, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and warm water coming out of most people's taps. Yes. So, you know. Um, but no, what my concern with the white woman is we're in a hot country and they always plugged in the wrong room first off. And secondly, <laughs> they dry out your wipes, you know, in our, in our environment. I meant, yeah, so, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, changing tables, I'll be real honest, I don't see the point in them. Well, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the changing tables. Yes, so, go on, tell me. From an ergonomic standpoint, as a physical right. therapist, I yeah. advocate for changing tables. Right. Because, right. You know, it's easier on the back, you know, and you're able to, reach your baby easily you don't have to bend and hold that position for prolonged periods especially for new moms who may have like a separation of their abdominals if they have a little diastasis you know it makes it difficult to hold that bent forward position for long so from that perspective i would say i would advocate for a changing table but Mm -hmm. certainly there are other ways to bring yourself to the same level as a baby such as kneeling at the bed Mm -hmm. and changing the baby at you know basically around the same height so yeah so that's so that's what i would say if you can't get to change the table it's not the end of the world absolutely Um, there are ways to adjust i appreciate that perspective because i didn't think about it in that respect from a uh, from a physical therapist point of view from my point of view as a midwife Mm -hmm. you will end up changing this baby on the bed you will end up changing them on the sofa the dining table the Mm -hmm. cupboard Yes. everything else and so the changing table only has limited storage on it mm-hmm. and the okay. one thing you just need when you have a baby is storage you're mm-hmm. better off buying yourself a really nice chest of drawers to put your baby stuff in and All now right. they have the changing tables that go on top of the dress um right. the dressing table yes the other thing that i have a concern with the changing tables is because they tend to be built to standard height yeah but the average woman is not standard height because i can honestly tell you and I am five six. I am not like massively tall, but mm-hmm. even sometimes standing at my kitchen cupboards mm-hmm. to cut vegetables up and things because this is built for an average height, which is probably about an inch or two shorter than me. I get a backache leaning forward, and that's my concern with the changing tables because people trying to use them and actually not realizing they're not fully bent forward where they could bend from the hip flexors. Mm-hmm. or use the knees mm-hmm. but they bend forward in an awkward angle where they actually curve in the spine so mm-hmm. from my point of view as a midwife with the diastasis recti that's why i do tend to advocate for that right. um, the other thing is when you have a wiggly baby on a changing table mm-hmm. a lot of accidents have happened yeah use the seat belt that's what yeah. i would say use the seat yeah. belt and certainly after a certain age Mm. don't put the child on the changing table yeah. i think the changing table is ideal in the newborn phase when they're not mm-hmm. moving as much and not as active right. from the time you have to have to use this the, the seat belt then yeah 
Yeah. Find another place. This is why I don't really advocate for them because after a few months, what are you going to do with this useless piece of furniture? That that's really all right. Tend to come from. I'm. I don't know why. It's not my money, but I'm always trying to save people money. I don't know why. And that's good. That's good. And this time, oh, watch the B now. We are digressing. Okay. Best way to get in contact with you for any services or classes. The best way to contact me is I have a Facebook page. I have an Instagram page. So if you follow me, either one, you can message me. And that's at Hello Baby TT. uh, Yes, it's uh, it's Hello Baby TT on Facebook. It's Hello underscore Baby underscore TT on Instagram. Right. Um, If you have WhatsApp, Mm -hmm. um, then for those of you that are outside of Trinidad, the code is 868 Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you that are in, in, in Trinidad, you don't need the code. The number is 460-6136. And I'll put all of this contact information in the show notes so yeah. that guests can access it afterwards. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right. And then we have the email address as well, mm-hmm. which is hellobabiesplurality at gmail.com. So whatever is more convenient for you. Right. And all on Instagram and things anyway. And, yeah. and- and Bina has a fantastic Instagram page. So please, please check it out. Please check it out. So Bina, I'm giving you the last say. I know that we have potentially the whole Caribbean listening to this <laughs> podcast. What is it that you want to end on? What's something that you really want to say to our expectant mothers of the Caribbean? What I want, what, what I would like the expectant mommies coming up in this generation to understand mm-hmm. is that... The babies that you're having and the world you're living in is very different to any world that we have lived in before. And your babies are going to grow up to live in a world that is not even invented yet. Mm-hmm. So don't be too hard on yourself if you're making the rules up as you're going along. Mm-hmm. You don't have to fit into anybody else's paradigm at all. I mean, in the Caribbean, and this is the wider Caribbean, I have never seen a group of women with so much pressure on them like Caribbean women. Your mm-hmm. house have to be clean. Your baby have to be looking a particular way by a particular time in the day. You know, you have to cook, you have to clean, you have everything for this so that people wouldn't talk. Yes. And I think we need to start to understand who is these people that we're talking about and why do their opinions on your life matter? Um, Take advice if the advice is from a sensible person, please. (laughs) All right. Because people will have good ways of doing things and tips and tricks from you. But it is also okay if the one thing you do every single day, especially in the first three months or six months, is just survive. You have done well. Take the pressure off of yourself for doing things. I think in the Caribbean, Caribbean women need to remember that we are human beings. We are not human doing. And it is supposed to be like that. All right. And it's okay if for a day, all you were is surviving with your baby. And it doesn't matter whether the both of you bed or you didn't bed or you know anything else happened. The fact is your baby know you loved. Well, you know your baby loved you because they're born in love with you. All right. And that is enough. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to ask you, I normally ask my mothers this, but I'm still going to ask you because you have a different perspective to choose a song mm, (laughs) that comes to mind, right? When you think about birth, pregnancy, delivery, postnatal, what song comes to mind for you? Oh, dear. I know. I I, I, know. No, you know why I said, oh, there wasn't even that, you know, is because it's so corny what came to mind. <laughs> let me hear, let me <laughs> You know, the Supremes have a song called Baby Love. <laughs> oh, God, sing it for me, let me hear. <laughs> oh, God, no, you, that, that really, you don't want to know. That, that, that really should not. There's a reason why I talk for the men and don't sing for the men. <laughs> All right, I will Google it and see. Yeah. I mean, I know the Supremes, Diana Ross, but yeah. I don't know, I mean, I can't. Think of how that song goes. All right. Um, is oh dear, because it's only the one line, you know, it says baby love, baby love. <laughs> That's the only line that comes into my head. <laughs> okay, no problem. And I apologize for everybody listening, but I came to my head. I really sorry because once you hear it, it'll play in your head for the whole day. And I'm really oh, sorry. <laughs> thank you very much. But you know, this has been just fantastic. Um, I've learned a lot. And I really know that our, my audience, our audience is really going to take away gems and nuggets of information that 
they didn't even realize they didn't know um, from this interview. So thank you for sharing. I wish you all continued success with Hello Baby TT and everything you're doing for all our Caribbean women. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for allowing me to tell you what we're trying to do and how to help women. And thank you for this podcast. I'm very, very glad that somebody's doing this and really putting it out there on social media. And it's a very brave thing to do because I know from being on social media and doing the lives and things is a very, very brave thing. And it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there quite like us. And when you're talking about these types of topics, it is a very vulnerable topic to talk about, really. So thank you as well for doing this. And to all of you Caribbean ladies out there, remember how beautiful you are. Remember how capable you are. Please. Yeah. All right, I'm begging you all. <laughs> please, please, please. <laughs> remember how capable, how beautiful you are. Um, and advocate for yourselves, please. Mm-hmm. You don't have to listen to everything everybody tell you. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all thank right. you. All right. Bye. Take care.